Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Football Garbage Time NFL Podcast. My name is Sakun Wong and I'm the editor-in-chief at footballgarbagetime.com and with me as always is senior staff writer Ryan Whitfield. How are you doing, Ryan? Doing great. How about you? Uh, not too bad, not too bad. My Bears have another win this week. I'm feeling pretty good about Mitchell Trubisky. So, uh, you know, and I got the Cubs coming up tonight. We got the NBA starting tonight. There is a lot of stuff that's on my agenda. So uh, I'm pretty psyched. Um, so we got a lot to cover today. So, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and roll this and get this going because I know you're going to dish on something in just a few seconds. So the first thing we're going to do, and uh, no surprise to our listeners, but this is a, a segment that Ryan invented. <laughs> it's going to be an opportunity for us to get something off our chest right at the get-go, and it's going to be called our Unsportsmanlike Conduct segment. And first off is going to be Ryan. Ryan, tell us what's on your chest that you have to get off to our listeners today. So, yeah, this was spurred on by Michael Rappaport. Um, You've probably seen him on First Take or ESPN at some point. He is a comedian and actor, um, but he's one of these guys that gets to do sports segments sometimes, even though he's an idiot. Um, So he (laughs) is very vocal about supporting the Black Lives Movement and the the protest, um, two causes that I'm very uh, aligned with him on. But I think he's a bit of an idiot. And uh, today, the reason the segment came up was because I wanted to talk about this tonight. He posted an Instagram uh, post today comparing Cam Newton – um, and his woman, his comment toward, towards Jordan Rodriguez and uh, Gronk's 69 joke last year. And I've heard this was Ezekiel Elliott in the past and how if, if uh, Gronk were doing these things, he'd get away with them. You know what? Gronk is an idiot. He likes to party. And this is not a Patriot thing for, for me. But uh, this black and white issue, people are trying to make it. Uh, making a 69 joke, I don't understand how anybody can compare that to being a sexist to laughing and mocking a, a woman uh, and, and thinking that she can't talk about route. Um, it's not on the same equivalent, just like it wasn't when people tried to bring it up over the summer when Ezekiel Elliott was sexually assaulting people, pulling their shirts down and exposing their breasts. So, um, you know, Michael Rappaport, you're an idiot, and that's all I got to say. Wow, yeah, that's some strong words from Michael Rappaport, but you actually have had it in, you've had it in with him before, you've talked with him before, haven't you? Yeah, I, I think he's a bit of an idiot. So, uh, I, I, he's, again, it's like when they have Little Wayne on first take. Like, could, could you give me somebody that actually knows what they're talking about, not somebody who casually watches football on the weekends? <laughs> exactly. Because, heck, then you can just listen to us, right? You don't need to listen to him. Uh, so, let's talk about – so, let me, uh, let, me, let me do it off my chest. And this is something that's been everywhere. So, I'd like to hear uh, your take on this, Ryan, as well. But I'm going to dish a little bit about the Austin Safarian Jenkins, you know, quote-unquote fumble. So – this is a situation where NFL senior VP officiating El Viveron, I think, failed to apply the clear and obvious evidence uh, rule. Again, in, in this controversial touchdown to touchback ruling in the Sunday's Patriots-Jets game. Now, if the evidence was indisputable, obviously there'd be no lingering dispute about it, and people are disputing it. Riveron and his predecessors, you know, Dean Blandino and Mike Fiera, would have agreed on all this stuff. But Blandino and Fiera don't agree and, you know, in my opinion, it wasn't indisputable. Now, the fact is that the evidence that tight end uh, Jenkins, Safarian Jenkins, lost possession of the ball before crossing the goal line was clear and obvious. 
but it wasn't clear and obvious that he failed to recover the ball before landing out of bounds. And as Blandino explained it, it appears that Sperry and Jenkins recovered possession of the ball and then he landed inbounds. But it doesn't really matter because the question is whether the evidence is clear and obvious that this didn't happen. And if it's not clear and obvious, then you just got to go back to what was held on the what was held on the field, and the, what was held on the field was was touchdown. But you know, you know, what are your thoughts on this, Ryan? Because obviously it impacts your Patriots. I, I'm not really a Jets fan or anything. I just thought it was a bad call. But what are your thoughts? Well, first of all, uh, the the mockery has become what is possession and what's a reception or not. Um, all started under Dean Blandino's watch as, as the uh, the head of the the referees. So um, Dean Blandino can shove it. Um, second of all. Uh, <laughs> This is a stupid rule. Um, it, it, it bastardizes the, the point of replay, and you know it, it wasn't clear and obvious. You know, I think I think personally um, that it was the right call because uh, I do think he didn't regain it. But given the way it was called on the field, I don't think you can overturn that. But it is it is the issue with replay in sports. Uh, replay was there to fix the egregious you know mistakes that refs missed. Um, not stuff like this. I equivalent this to like um, when a when a team goes offside in hockey and scores a goal two minutes later, and they go back and review it and rewind two minutes of tape to find out that two minutes ago the guy's foot was over by a millimeter, and now they wipe right. the goal out. This was not the spirit of the rule. That should have been a touchdown. It's a dumb rule, and they gotta they got to get replay out a little bit. they they got to reel this in because it's, it's a mess. Yeah. All right. All right. So it looks like we're we're at least in agreement on the on the on the way it should have been called because of the way it was called in the field. Uh, and that's uh, and it's interesting. I don't I don't know if the Jets would have pulled it out anyway, but uh, just that one call I thought was really interesting. All right, that's it for our new segment of unsportsmanlike conduct. I'm going to ring the bell on that one. And let's go on to our fantasy football pickups. So we're going to give you a couple of our pickups. Uh, coming out of week six, going into week seven for your fantasy football team. Uh, tell us, Ryan, who do you have on your list of pickups? So, yeah, I just I just threw out two guys. I know you have a little bit more of an in-depth list, but uh, uh, one of them I actually stole off your list. But uh, the first guy is, and I almost <laughs> I feel sick saying this because it's going to be the third time I've picked up a, a Giants running back. Uh, but Paul Perkins didn't work out. Um, you know, Gallman, I think, has been, uh, has been so far. And now Darkwa has actually had to piece together two or three good weeks in a row here. So, yeah. you know, I think Darkwa has to be a pickup at this point. And, again, you know, fool me once, fool me twice. I guess I'm going fool me three times. And uh, I've also picked up Richard or had Richard Jennings on my team um, several times <laughs> the last two years. So, yeah. um, you know, the Giants running back core has been fooling me all the way since, you know, Brandon Jacobs off the 2007 season. So um, that was my first guy. Uh, my second individual player was Deion Lewis. Um, he's had a bigger workload here the last couple weeks. If, when, if and when Rex Burkhead is back, I think that that could affect it a little bit. Uh, but he's clearly kind of emerged there. Again, you know, they tried to bury him, but he, you know, brought in all these new guys. But it seems like he really is the guy who's had double-digit points the last couple weeks, um, and he's been running between the tackles a lot. So his workload's increasing, which is encouraging uh, for, for anyone looking for running back help. And the last one I'll throw out there wasn't a player. Um, but people are sleeping on the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense. They're, uh, they're good for double digits uh, each week right now, and they're, they're available in most leagues. Uh, you know, they've been six weeks in now, and they continue to play well. So, um, you know, if you're looking for, for defense, especially if you're streaming, um, you know, I think you, Pittsburgh should be high on your radar. Yeah, I, I agree with all those. And actually, let me ask you a question about Deion Lewis, because like I said, he's on my list as well, and you know the Patriots better than I do. But – it's appeared to me that Gillisley has a little bit of a ball security issue. I mean, he did put the ball on the ground, and then we barely saw him after that. Do you think that that's going to impact his time 
in the backfield. You know, Bill Belichick does not like people with the ball on the ground. And Deion Lewis has shown, uh, you know, a lot of ability with the increased workload. Like you, you noted, he had five uh, touches per week uh, leading up to uh, nine touches two weeks ago and 11 touches last week. So he's, uh, he's trending up. So what do you think about that? Is Gillsley a little bit in trouble? Is he in a doghouse? Oh, yeah, he's definitely in trouble. Um, ask Stephen Ridley how much Belichick likes people that fumble the ball. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I think, oh, I think overall, I think it's, he's, he's in trouble for two reasons um, with that ball security issue uh, because there's something wrong with this Patriots team. Everybody can see it. And everyone knows that. And so I don't think that Belichick's going to tolerate this year. You know, a, he never does, but especially this year he's not tolerating somebody uh, turning over the ball, especially when you've got to put that defense on the field. So that's one. Two, the most telling sign was after that fumble, Deion Lewis had a touchdown where he ran the ball from the one-yard line. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I expected to see Gillisley buried a little bit to send a message after that, but the fact that they're going to run with Deion Lewis at the one and Gillisley on the on the bench, when that's really you know his specialty there, that says that says a lot about the role Deion has right now and just how far Gillisley might be in the doghouse. Right, right. So I agree with all that. And that, that's kind of my take. That's kind of the take I took as well. I mean, when I saw what they did of Deion Lewis and his usage on the goal line, I'm like, wow, that is a clear message that we got a guy who can do this and it's not you. So uh, I have, I think that Deion Lewis has some breakout potential depending on his usage going forward as well. I got a, a couple other guys who are based on injury and based on poor play are taking over. Um, one of which is Brett Hundley. I mean, obviously the Unfortunately for the Packers, Aaron Rodgers has broken his clavicle. He's going into surgery. They're going to put uh, they're going to put some uh, steel bolts and and suspender and and uh, other things in there in order to make sure he get his movement back. But still, this is something that's going to take him at least six to eight weeks to get back from. And with that said, he's basically off your fantasy roster. And Brett Hundley is your guy. Remember, he was a uh, fifth round draft pick in 2015, and the Packers have had him back there for two and a half years so it's not like he doesn't have any experience and now he'll have an opportunity to throw the ball to the likes of Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams uh, and Randall Cobb so you know hey they're worse guys to get uh, than Brett Hundley he's actually only 1% owned in uh, standard Yahoo League. The other guy I'm interested in is CJ Bethard you know Brian Hoyer we knew that he wasn't going to be good uh, forever he's going to revert back and regress uh, he had a couple good games, but he was scoreless in a couple uh, games in a row. And they brought in C.J. Bathard in, the, in uh, San Francisco. He was their third-round draft pick, and, you know, he is a decent quarterback. Uh, and he has some okay weapons there, including Pierre Garçon and the kind of uh, uh, kind of mercurial uh, uh, George Kittle, who actually is uh, their, uh, their uh, rookie tight end, who's actually going to be someone he, he has a good connection with uh, from before. So, you know, there's some, there's some potential here. He did complete 19 of 36 passes for 245 yards on a touchdown in just over a half game. He did have an INT, but that INT was a desperation heave at the end of the game. Uh, they almost brought the 49ers back. So, you know, I like C.J. Bethard if you're really hurting for quarterback or you're in a two-quarterback league. And lastly, I want to mention Kenny Still. Devontae Parker had an injured ankle, was unable was to practice all last week. He was definitely out last week. He's probably out again this week. We don't know. We'll have to keep an eye on the practice reports. But Kenny Stills uh, was a beneficiary, and he has a lot of experience in that Miami Dolphins scheme. He snagged four out of four targets and 49 yards on a touchdown. What's most important, though, is that he was used in short yardage. His touchdown was an 11-yard touchdown. So he's taking over some of those short yardage uh, uh, looks. And, uh, you know, it's Jay Cutler. He's going to throw the ball over the place. He'll have plenty of INTs. But he's going to give his receivers plenty of opportunities as well. So I don't mind taking a flyer on Kenny Stills uh, as well. And then I have one last reminder 
Ezekiel Elliott start the set the site start his suspension. Who knows if he's able to raise another appeal and suspend that some more. But in the meantime, you got Alfred Morris and Darren McFadden there. Uh, I believe in that order to pick up as a backup. Do you have any thoughts on who you would pick up in the uh, Cowboys backfield if Ezekiel Elliott is suspended? Yeah, I uh, 1,000% agree with you. Alfred Morris over McFadden. Uh, Morris has been – Morris actually showed some pretty good explosiveness in the preseason, and I just think he's the he's the better option, and he's the guy who's really proved that McFadden's always been the guy with the, with all the potential that's never really manifested. So I would I would take Morris. I think he's more dependable, and I think they'll use him more. Yeah, and, I, and, and that's the way I kind of saw it as well. Plus, Darren McFadden has been a healthy scratch over the first couple games of the season. Now, that doesn't mean anything. Obviously, uh, people have pointed to the way that uh, the, the Panthers had used uh, – uh, their their running backs last year and how they you know they, they didn't actually just slide whoever was number two off they kept somebody in the in a passing down or a backup uh, running back change of pace backup type position but Alfred Morris to me is not really a change of pace back he's a guy who's been the guy the man before when he was in uh, Washington and I think he can beat again he's actually and I agree with uh, Ryan he actually did look explosive in the preseason and we don't know what Darren Fadden has I mean he he could be. I mean, this could very well be a timeshare back there, so no one might win. But I would say invest in one, go for Alfred Morris. If you have the roster space, invest in both. If you're an Ezekiel Elliott uh, owner, I'm sorry, but you should grab both because you, you're going to need one of those guys. Uh, or go another way, get Orleans Darkwa. <laughs> you know, you never know. They, this is the first time that, that uh, Ben McAdoo gave up the uh, offensive play calling abil- uh, uh, responsibilities, and, uh, and Darkwa really broke out. So maybe that's going to be here to stay. All right, so that's it for our fantasy football segment. I'm going to ring the bell on that part. And we're going to move on to our next segment, and we're going to talk about two teams that are kind of struggling right now, the Denver Broncos and the Atlanta Falcons. So let's start with the Denver Broncos. They are 3-2, and two, second in the AFC West. Now, Emmanuel Sanders is probably out due to injury now. It uh, looks like he won't play coming up this coming week. Bjarne Thomas was in and out of the lineup last week because of an injury. Who knows how serious that will be. C.J. Anderson had a miserable, miserable week of only uh, only uh, 16 yards. Trevor Simeon was regressing like nobody's business. And worse, they lost 23-10 to to the then winless New York Giants who didn't have OBJ, Brandon Marshall, or Sterling Shepard on the field to throw to. They have now fallen to uh, 14th in the league in passing yards. Ninth in rushing yards, they are 16th uh, for points against, uh, points for, and eighth at points against. They're starting to slide. I mean, what do you think about the Denver Broncos, Ryan? Are, is there something wrong with them, or is this who they really are? And is there some way they could turn their season around? Yeah, I think this is who they really are, right? You know, it's not. Uh, I don't think it's surprising. I don't think it's. Um, there's anything wrong other than this is the way their team's built. They're they're a defensive first team. And Trevor Simeon um, is who he is. And I think that he looked good for a time there at the beginning of the season. I think we all bought in a little bit too hard. But, I, you know, we, we talked about it early in the season. He was predictably going to be um, going to struggle on the road. And it's just, you know, the note I have written in front of me is it's a dangerous way to live. When you have to win games 17 to 14 or, you know, 14 to 10, like it's just there's not a big margin for error. And, you know, when, when you have him out there throwing, you know, basically putting the ball on a platter for Janoris Jenkins, you know, it, it turns the game real quick. I don't think the Giants offense looked, in, you know, particularly explosive or, or um, you know, dangerous in that game. I just think that 
you know, when Simeon can't make mistakes, you know, you're trying to win defensively. And, um, you know, the offensive line looks better for a time. I don't think that they've lived up through the full five weeks of being a really stout offensive line. And the running game suffered because of it. C.J. Anderson's been in and out, um, banged up. And then, you know, at, at you know, I think Emmanuel Sanders is a little bit past his prime. Um, and I don't think that he's a true number one receiver. I think he needs a true number one guy to to take the pressure off of him so he can work the underneath stuff. And I think I think Demarius Thomas is soft as puppy poo. And I've always said that. <laughs> I think Demarius Thomas is a quitter. I don't think he, you know, the the two big games uh, I point out is against the Patriots last year. Um, you know, he got hit by Devin McCourty, just lets go of the ball. And then, yeah, 2013 Super Bowl, um, I don't care if he wins three more. I don't think I can ever uh, get over how soft and how afraid he was to go over the middle against that Seahawks defense that year. Um, so I don't think he's a true number one either. I think they're both good number twos. And when you don't have an elite quarterback and no run game, they, they all kind of get exposed. So I think this is who the Broncos are. I'm not surprised they're here, and I don't think that they really factor in. And they might make the playoffs as a wild card team because that division's over already, but they, uh, you know, they're, they're not in there for a long run in January by any means. So when you say the division is over already, are you saying that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to run away with the AFC West? Oh, yeah. yeah Kansas City's a dominant uh, regular season team. So I think, uh, you know, I think, I think Kansas City, they've already got the, you know, the, the multiple game lead in the division. Um, and so I don't think, you know, that there's, there's any chance. I think it's two and a half games on Denver. So they're, they're, they're going to run away with that one. And Oakland's obviously not much of a competition anymore either. So, yeah, you know, I, this wasn't on the list, so I don't want to surprise you. I, I'm, well, I, I am going to surprise you with it, but the Oakland, since you brought that up, well, you know, a lot of people bought into the Oakland Raiders beforehand and, you know, you can blame maybe the injuries, maybe you can blame, I don't know what you can blame, but you know, Derek Carr, he just doesn't look right. I mean, things just don't look good. He, he started off strong first two games of the season, and they just lost four in a row. I mean, one of them wasn't him. One of them was DJ Emanuel. But he just doesn't look good to me right now. I mean, any thoughts on, on the Oakland Raiders and, you know, whether they can turn it around, or is this just who Derek Carr is? Well, the number one issue in Oakland is three words. Jack Del Rio. He is an idiot. <laughs> He is not a good head coach. He's one of those typical, he's a coordinator. He is not a head coach. He should not be in charge of the whole operation. Um, you know, it worked last year, but there's, there's guys like that. You can have that one year where it pops. The difference between um, a, a, an average to bad coach and a great coach is the consistency. And I just don't think right. he's good enough to be consistently good there. There's an operational issue, and I told you all, and I bit on it in like week two, and I think I put it in one of my articles, and I wish I hadn't because now i got to eat that crow a little bit. But I was right in the preseason. <laughs> Marshawn Lynch was not the answer. You don't take a year yeah. off and come back and look the same as you did, especially when you're 32 years old. So um, they have a lot of issues in the fact that Amari Cooper can't catch, can't catch the freaking ball. That's I, I just I, – I just don't get that. I've never understood that. Your whole entire job is to catch the ball. Just catch the damn ball. It's just not that hard. <laughs> right. Like that's not athleticism. That's not skills. It's just it's just paying attention and, and not right. overthinking it. It's just so you know that 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 the whole thing's a mess and that defense is still a long way away. So they're they're cooked. Um, I think they need a, a head coach change uh, going into next year. Yeah, and Michael Crabtree, by the way, on the other hand, looks fantastic to me. I, I think he's really emerged as their what their number one threat now, but. Amari Cooper, man, I just don't know what happened to him. It's just he just fell off and fell off a ledge, and I have no idea what's happening. Um, so anyway, let me turn to the next team that we were going to talk about, and that is the Atlanta Falcons. I know you had a lot to say about them coming into the season as well, uh, but they are now three and two. They're third in the NFC South, behind both the Panthers 
and ostensibly the Saints, but they do have the same record. Um, Julio Jones has been in and out with injuries. We don't know what the how that's going to hold up. Mohamed Sanu was out this last week. Matt Ryan has regrets horribly this year, horribly. Only six touchdowns in six games. Atrocious QBR of 63.6. And they lost to the miserable Miami Dolphins last week, 20-17, to blowing a 17-point halftime lead to Jay Cutler and friends. Blowing a 17-point halftime lead. That sounds well, it sounds pretty familiar to me. I think I've seen that before as the Falcons. They are uh, sixth in passing yards, 11th in rushing yards, 12 points for, and 15 points against. They're starting to slide. I'm starting to feel a little bit nervous about them. What do you think about the Atlanta Falcons, Ryan? Starting to slide? You're feeling a little bit nervous about the Falcons, <laughs> Let me tell you, my friend. We, we are at the cliff. We've got one foot over, and we are looking straight down at the downfall of the Atlanta Falcons. This team is cooked. C-O-O-K-E-D cooked. They're done. Oh, wow. Um, the water reaches its level. Does Matt Ryan, you know, looking at this year, how Matt Ryan's playing, is this the aberration or, or, or was last year the aberration? It was last year. Last year he's never been that guy who consistently, although, you know, he predictably finally did choke in the Super Bowl, uh, but he's never been that guy that consistently end-to-end can do this. Going back, as I've cited on this podcast 10,000 times, to when I was a, a you know an 18-year-old kid watching him lead BC to an 8-0 record to beat Virginia Tech just to go lose to Wake Forest the next week. Um, okay. You know, he, they're just he's just this is just who he is. And Muhammad Sanu, you know, who was one of the most vocal and mouthy guys in in the Super Bowl last year. If you watch any of the mic'd up stuff, he sucked. Mm-hmm. He's never been good. Last year again, what year was the aberration in, in Muhammad Sanu's career? Last season. And uh, Julio just doesn't look right to me right now. He looks banged up. And, yeah, they got the, two, the two-headed the monster in the backfield, which I think is still um, sufficient and good enough. Uh, but Gabriel, too. Gabriel was, was, a, was a fluke. I mean, they had so many flukes last year, and they missed Kyle Shanahan. Scarsesian's not him. Um, so you add that in with a defense that last year I thought was on the come that was young, fast, hard-hitting, much like the, you know, the 2011 Seahawks. Um, that finally emerged and really dominated in 2013, but that shift started back in like 2011, 2012. Um, and I thought that's what we were seeing here with the Falcons, but with all those guys, all that skill, they, they, you know, they played decent. They played better than the offense at this point. I mean, they really kept them in the games, but, um, you know, not as good as I would have liked to have seen them come out and, and play to this point. And then now you, now you factor in a 17-point choke, and it couldn't have come at a worse time because it comes at the second half against the Dolphins at home. And then the post game, that's all anybody wants to talk about. It's you guys choked again. They're asking Dick Beasley. They're asking Dan Quinn. They're asking uh, yep. Deion Jones. Um, and so they're all asking about it. And so what is the best cure when you have something like that? It's to get back out on the field and play, right? And where do they get to come do it? Oh, baby. They're coming to Gillette. They're going to look up, <laughs> right. see that 2016 banner up there, all the ghosts. All of it's coming back. It's a primetime game, um, you know, as uh, – God, what was his name? Uh, James Ahedabo said a couple years ago in Detroit that the Patriots Stadium is one of the creepiest stadiums because it's just one long two-lane highway coming into the stadium yep. in the woods in the, in the autumn, and it's going to be dark out, and they're coming down that, and they're going to come in there with all those ghosts coming out, coming up on Halloween. It's going to be a nightmare scenario, and the Falcons are done. They will not make the playoffs this year, 8-8 eight and eight at best finish. Wow. Well, not make the playoffs. I think they still have a chance at a wild card. I, I suspect nope. I am looking forward to to see what happens uh, in, in Foxborough. I don't think they're going to respond. You're probably right. But uh, I am looking forward to that game. I really want to see how they respond to this. That will tell me a lot about how the rest of their season will go. 
if it's close, then I give them a shot at making the wild card. If it's not close, then I think it's, it's their, their cook as well. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe maybe unfairly. Yeah, maybe <laughs> All right. Let's turn it around and talk about the other side of the equation. Let's talk about a team that is trending up. That's the Philadelphia Eagles. They are 5-1. and one. They're top of the NFC East. In fact, they're top of the NFC. Best record in the NFC. Carson Wentz is totally broken out. He is 13 touchdowns in six games. Alshon Jeffrey and Nelson Aguilar look legit. Zach Ertz is one of the best tight ends in the league. And the defense has looked very strong as well. Their only loss so far is to the 5-1 and one Chiefs, who they lost to by only a single score in Week 2. What are your thoughts about the Philadelphia Eagles? They're ninth in passing yards, fifth in rushing yards, sixth at points, tied for ninth points against their solid all the way around. Are the Philadelphia Eagles legit Super Bowl contenders? So I have a friend who is, uh, lives in Philly, and he's a big Eagles fan, and he'll probably hate me for this because last year on this podcast, I believe they were three and one or four and one at the time, and I bought in hard on the Eagles, and they promptly went into the tank. But I'm doing it again. <laughs> I'm buying it again. Right. I love this team. I love Carson Wentz. I think this guy is legit. I own him in two different leagues. Um, I'm fully vested in this guy. Um, you know, I think he he's balling right now. I think Nelson Aguilar, this is the Nelson Aguilar we thought we were getting a couple years ago with, with Chip Kelly. Um, but this is that year three jump and it looks like he's making it. Alshon Jeffries, provided he can stay off the PEDs. Um, we, they should be good there. Yes. The running game between Smallwood and, and Blunt and the, the community they have there and the, the offensive line, which has been amazing this year. They're, they're running the ball. He's, Carson Wentz has time to make the plays. Carson Wentz is, is a magician back there. My favorite plays I've seen him make so far are the ones where a guy that can scramble a little bit like him, typically, you know, when things start getting hectic in the pocket, want to roll out and try to find space. Um, but the elite quarterbacks are the ones that stay in the pocket, climb the pocket, and make the downfield throw. And Carson Wentz does that. They're, for the second straight year, brilliant on third down. He is great against the blitz. I think they're the best against third down. And uh, third and long, specifically, they're the number one team. I mean, if you, if you watch these guys, they convert third and 12s like it's a third and two. It's unbelievable, the offense. And then that doesn't even get to the fact that that defense is just unbelievable uh, talent-wise in the front seven. Um, the secondary still scares me a little bit, especially how many injuries they've had. But they've gone through all the injuries they've had in the first five, uh, six weeks here, and they've survived, right? So it's only going to get better from here on out for the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think Doug Peterson is quietly becoming a good young head coach in the league. So I am all in on Philadelphia. Fly, Eagles, fly. <laughs> well, I am all in on the Philadelphia Eagles as well. Um, you know, the fact of the matter, I, and I'll tell you this, I was in Las Vegas this last weekend. I put money on the Eagles winning the NFC championship game and winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> and then you know, guess what? It was 20 to one odds at that time. That actually moved up from that point to eight to one odds. So I can tell you it's moving up fast. Now, part of that is the Philadelphia Eagles. Part of that is the Green Bay Packers. You know, they have always obviously one of the favorites to win in the NFC. And now that they've fallen out of contention with, the, with Aaron Rodgers out for the next six to eight weeks, I think that the Eagles are the best they got. I think that's, that's the best NFC team out there. I don't know if there's anybody close. I mean, maybe the Seahawks don't forget the Zeke sort of injury. Yeah, and the Zeke, oh, excellent point, and the Zeke injury as well. Dallas Cowboys now down to 25 to 1 odds on the Super Bowl win. You know, the Packers all the way down to 30 to 1 odds. So, really, um, the Eagles are the best that the NFC's got. Now, will they, will they be able to match up whoever comes out of the AFC? I don't know. I think it's the 
AFC looks pretty strong this year. Uh, but the NFC, you know, I mean, I think they got that wrapped up if they can keep going what they're doing because Carson Wentz looks like he looks comfortable in the pocket and he is finding all his receivers. The only problem they have, I think, is that running back. They don't really have a great ground game. Uh, I mean, LeGarrette Blunt is LeGarrette Blunt. Um, you know, I'm just I'm not confident in what they're doing there. But I still think that what they have going on in their passing offense and their defense is legit. And I think they have a really good shot of going all the way, at least getting to the Super Bowl. So I'm, I'm buying in wholesale as well with the Philadelphia Eagles. All right. So that basically all time. the bell on that and ring the horn on our show today. So, uh, Ryan, give us your uh, Instagram and, uh, and Twitter so people can follow you. Yes, sir. Follow me on Instagram, football underscore garbage underscore time. And you can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Whitfield NE. And big shout out to my boys at DraftingSleepers.com, the social network for fantasy sports. That's right. And, and don't forget to check in on our website, footballgarbagetime.com. Ryan has his 12 men on the field, which comes out weekly. You should check that out. I have, da- I have uh, waiver wire pickups coming out on Sunday nights and daily fantasy picks coming out at the end of each week before uh, the beginning of the week uh, uh, for uh, Daily Fantasy Football, FanDuel, DraftKings, and Yahoo Daily Fantasy. You can follow me at FB Garbage Time. Until next time, enjoy your NFL week. And go Cubs! Go Celtics! (laughs) I'm not going to say go Bulls because they suck. (laughs) 